It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday 7. On this week's award-winning Sunday 7, we search for intelligence in this week's row at OpenAI. We celebrate the arrival of a black rhino calf, ask some questions about who owned the NHS's data, and get ourselves booked in for a cuddle with a cow. But first, on this day in 1922, archaeologist Howard Carter unearthed the burial chamber of King Tutankhamun in Egypt. It was the first Egyptian pharaoh's tomb to be discovered that still contained most of its treasures, many of which are still displayed today at the Grand Egyptian Museum in Giza. The last week has been absolute chaos in the world of artificial intelligence. OpenAI is one of the key players in AI and it's the creator of the widely used ChatGPT. But over the last seven days, its founder and CEO Sam Altman was sacked by the board, then hired by Microsoft, then rehired by OpenAI as CEO. That's just the start of the drama, so there's only one thing for it. We had to call up our own Smart 7 tech guru, Will Guyot, to find out what the hell is going on. So, Will... What the hell is going on with OpenAI? Well, they say a week is a long time in tech, but over a hundred drama-filled hours, Silicon Valley gave Aaron Sorkin, or whoever's free to make a solid eight-part series for Apple TV, a drama you wouldn't forget. On Friday, the boss, Sam Altman, who's no longer good enough for the company. On Saturday, OpenAI hires a new interim CEO. On Sunday, they replace the interim CEO with another interim CEO. And then the former CEO, Sam Altman, jumps to Microsoft, who are OpenAI's main investor. And Microsoft say they will hire any of his former team who want to follow him to Microsoft. Now, later that day, Altman tweets he's back in the OpenAI offices and he wants to stay. And within 24 hours, he's back in control of the company. So while we were all worried that AI was going to take control, it's clear that big power struggles and clashes of personality personality still rule the boardroom. It's been suggested that Altman wanted to push full speed ahead with little concern for potential dangers of sentient AI, while his board felt differently. Give us a brief rundown of who's behind OpenAI and how long it's been involved in AI. Well, OpenAI was founded in December 2015 as a non-profit, and at the time, donors included Elon Musk and Peter Thiel. He's the Silicon Valley investor that helped Facebook and other companies in its early days. And they had Sam Altman on board. Sam Altman had developed some apps before joining the venture capital company Y Combinator that backed tech companies like Airbnb and Dropbox. For the first few years, OpenAI was encouraging the best AI researchers to join the company for less money on the basis they were developing AI for good. Now, Elon Musk resigned from OpenAI's board in 2018 after some suggest he tried to take the company over. It became a full-for-profit company in 2019 and raised $1 billion from Microsoft in its pursuit of trying to create commercial AI-based products. It spent the next three years developing ChatGPT, which launched on November the 30th last year and became the fastest downloaded app ever. Elon Musk has just launched his own chat AI, Grok. Is he going to get involved here too? 
Yeah, well, of course, Elon Musk's been pontificating about AI for a while and was a jilted party, essentially, in OpenAI. So um, X now has its own chatbot called Grok. Now, apparently, as you would expect, Grok is modelled on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and will respond with, and I quote, a bit of wit and will answer another quote, spicy questions that other AI systems currently refuse to answer. It was released to testers at the start of November, and if you're one of the handful of people with X Premium, the blue tick subscription, is coming to you in the next few weeks. What happens next, Will, and are we any closer to actual artificial intelligence? It's hard to predict what's going to happen next, but I can promise you that the hysteria around AI will continue. And given the lack of transparency from any of the companies involved, it's actually really hard to tell if we're actually any closer to artificial general intelligence or sentience or not at all. And that's the biggest concern of many of the harshest critics and governments around the world. If so many organisations are now rushing to make AI to think for itself, have they still got all the guardrails and protections in place? The concern is they haven't. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres arrived in Antarctica on Thursday. He was visiting King George Island to raise awareness of the accelerating pace of climate change, which has seen what scientists are describing as unavoidable melting that will lead to a rise in sea levels of at least six feet over the next few centuries. This week saw a new UN climate report which predicted that global warming shows no sign of slowing and that it will in fact accelerate to almost twice the 1.5 degree target. Present trends are racing our planet down a dead end 3 degree temperature rise. The report shows that the emissions gap is more like an emissions canyon. We must reverse course. And uh, as we have seen in this report, the crucial aspect is the addiction to fossil fuels. So it's time to establish a clear phase down with uh, a time limit linked to the 1.5 degrees. And uh, it's time to be determined in pursuing that phase down policy. And I hope that governments will understand it. And I hope that there will be a clear signal from this COP that we must move in that direction. The emissions gap report has been published in advance of the COP28 climate summit, which begins next week in Dubai. Chief scientific editor of the report is Anne Olhoff. Countries are doing right now, if they continue the current efforts of, of climate mitigation, then we're looking at uh, limiting temperature increase to three degrees throughout the century. With the climate promises for 2030, we're looking at an increase of between 2.5 and 2.9 degrees Celsius. So that's a massive global warming and a lot of way beyond uh, the Paris Agreement goal we will see maybe 10 times as many extreme weather events in terms of extreme uh, temperatures. We will see more heavy precipitation. And of course, there are lots of um, damages following, such as wildfires and so forth. Still to come on the Sunday 7, why you need to keep your eyes peeled for measles and good news from Chester. There are concerns that the UK could be facing a serious rise in measles infections as every region in England has now reported a case of measles. The reason for the concern is that the levels of vaccination against measles are now at a 10-year low. Measles can be a serious and life-threatening disease for young people and a long-running vaccination programme had seen it largely under control. But most post-pandemic vaccination levels have dropped well below the level recommended by the World Health Organisation. Rob Howard, Director of Public Health from Leicester City Council, says there may be an element of complacency about the disease. 
There may be something about what we call um, vaccine fatigue. People have got so used to having to go and get them vaccinated against COVID, against flu and so on. It's another thing that people have to do. And I think the main reason is people have forgotten what a horrible disease measles can be for those that are more vulnerable. Professor of Child Health and Outbreak Medicine Callum Semple says part of the issue is that mainstream media just doesn't reach a universal population anymore and that the government needs to be more innovative in how it spreads the message about measles. This is one vaccine where we say it's never too late. If you've had second thoughts, you can get your child vaccinated. We've got to change the way we get these messages across, though, because people in in three-piece suits of a certain age and a certain colour and women wearing jumpers and pearls and sitting in front of a public health board isn't getting the message across. Somehow we've got to get the social influencers, the TikTok generation, hearing this and understanding it. We need to get the message into these areas. We also need to get the message into groups which don't speak English as a first language in our country. This is one vaccine where we say it's never too late. Dr Vanessa Salaba, who is a consultant epidemiologist for the UK's health security agency, says measles is highly infectious. Anyone who's unvaccinated can catch measles and it can very quickly um, grow into from a few handful of cases to hundreds of cases and then thousands of cases. One of the world's rarest mammals is the black rhino, which is listed as critically endangered by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Rhinos have long been a favourite target for poachers who kill them and sell their horns, which has led to a loss of 95% of Africa's rhino population. It's estimated there are only about 600 eastern black rhinos left across Rwanda, Tanzania and Kenya. So there was jubilation this week when a black rhino calf was born at Chester Zoo. Chester are part of a breeding programme designed to help safeguard the species and keepers were delighted when the female calf was born in daylight, allowing them to film the rare event. Callum Garner is a rhino keeper at Chester and he says the whole zoo is delighted for Mother Zuri. We're all very excited at the zoo at the minute on the birth of our latest black rhino. She brings our numbers up to nine here at the zoo. Hopefully she'll join us out on the paddock this morning. She's sticking really close to mum. So wherever Zori's outside, you'll usually see the calf trotting up behind her. The calf's just over a week old now, weighing at around 50 kilos when first born. She brightens up everyone's day. Everyone's very keen to see her. There's crowds gathering, trying to catch the glimpse of the rhino as she's out and about on the paddock. So she's an eastern black rhino, so in captivity there's been over 100 births over the last few years. Here, our last black rhino was born three years ago, so we've waited 15 months for this little girl to arrive. Still to come on the Sunday 7, fancy a cuddle with a cow, and who could be peeking at your medical records? Right after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back.
The NHS has been under massive pressure for the last few years. The pandemic put extraordinary strain on NHS staff and resources and the after-effects of COVID have seen record waiting lists and a system that is struggling with staff and funding shortages. In a bid to help modernise the NHS and generate more efficiencies, there's a plan to introduce a brand new data platform to better manage resources and patient information. The development of the platform comes with a massive price tag of almost half a billion pounds and even more controversially, part of the contract has been awarded to US technology company Palantir. The new federated data platform will be jointly operated by Accenture and Planetair and the contract will run for at least five years. The NHS's head of transformation is Dr. Vin Diwakar and he explains how it will work and how the data will be managed. Personal identifiable data will only be available to people working in the trust where you are receiving your care, exactly as that is at the moment. And so, you know, if you're a patient receiving care in a hospital, you would want your care to be more efficiently uh, dealt with by better information systems. Now, we have been engaging closely with patients. The Patients Association jointly authored a blog which is published on our website uh, expressing support for this federated data platform and also on our website for members of the public who want to ask questions. We've got frequently asked questions. There are privacy concerns about who will own the medical data and whether or not patients will have any options about what happens to their data. Nick Robinson on BBC Radio 4 struggled to get a clear answer on whether or not patients can actually opt out of the system. You cannot opt out of your data being used in the hospital or community trust or mental health trust where you're receiving your care. But if you have concerns, you can ask questions. There's a completely separate thing, and it's really important not to get confused about this, called the National Data Opt-Out. And for that, you can opt out of your data being used for research. But this software is not being used for research. It's being used to care for patients better. The concerns principally arise because of the US firm Planetier founded by Facebook billionaire Peter Thiel, which is best known for its work with intelligence agencies, including the CIA. But back in October, Planetier CEO Alex Karp told the BBC that they have no bad intentions for your medical data. Almost every other private company in the world, besides my company, will take that data and transfer it to somebody else. And so if you're in England, you assume that when somebody touches, a private company touches your data, that they're going to use it for their purposes. Yes. Palantir doesn't do that? Yeah, but you might in the future. We've never done it in 20 years. Sure, but you may in the future. Uh, Well, first of all, we wouldn't even be able to. So the way our product is set up, I don't have access to your data. My strong supposition is that people are assuming things will happen with the data that don't happen. And that when you show them that it's not going to happen and you can show them in real life, that they won't. It's 101 years since the tomb of Egyptian pharaoh king Tutankhamun was discovered in Egypt. But Egypt isn't the only culture that's preserved its dead using mummification. And just this week, archaeologists discovered five mummies in Peru. They're believed to be at least 1,000 years old and date back to before the Inca civilization. They were discovered at a site near the Peruvian capital Lima and the group have been buried in a ceremonial chamber which is believed to have been a sacred space. Luis Taguda was one of the archaeologists on the team who made the discovery. We are now in a 3,500-year-old pre-Inca temple. We have found five mummies, and four are apparently children, of whom three are covered with textiles, and the other two are skeletons. These are 1,000 years old and belong to the Weixma culture. What we see here is that the whole area where we are now was a ceremonial atrium. It was a very important ceremonial atrium, where the people who lived in the time of the Weixma considered it a sacred space, and therefore, buried their dead here. 
modern life is stressful and we all have different mechanisms to cope. We've covered stories about those who use magic mushrooms in therapy, there's mindfulness and well-being apps and of course, goat yoga. But now there's an even hotter new wellness trend and it's called cow cuddling. Fiona Wilson runs Dumble Farm in Yorkshire along with her brother and her husband and they've just introduced the world to cow cuddling and having a bovine buddy is a pretty hot ticket. They charge £50 for a three-hour session and tickets have been selling out instantly. Fiona spoke to Sky News and explained a bit more about the science behind the cuddly cows. A lot of people come to us for well-being aspects. People who suffer from anxiety. We often get people who message me and say, you know, I know someone's autistic. I think they'd benefit from this. Other people really just love cows already and want to spend some time with them. Generally, cows are quite inquisitive. They are, on the whole, very friendly. I mean, I would say don't just go and approach a cow and feel because she doesn't ever know. These are ones we've worked a lot with. We knew they were already friendly and confident. And they're really used to seeing people now and they do actually love the attention. They're really enjoying having people here to see them. We put tickets on sale and we sell out usually within about half an hour. But we only take six people at once. There's three of us, three of us farmers, my husband, my brother and myself. And so one of us will just spend time with each couple, telling them about the cows, making sure everyone's safe and making sure they have a really nice time. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.